directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Thought for the day, ignorance is your best defense. Hello Faith Militant and welcome to episode 81 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium using the game systems created by Games Workshop and Fantasy Flight Games. We cover a different game system each episode and today we'll be talking about Dark Heresy. But before we do that, quick uh, update. It's been nearly a month or I think maybe over a month since our last show. We've been a bit slack at the start of this year just because of lots of other commitments and travel and other gaming etc so yeah uh, I mean, in terms of gaming in the last month we've we've done quite a bit of our D&D campaign we've we've just finished the first module as such the GM wants to run so yeah. as a reminder we're going through the old second ed modules converted to third ed rules that were based on the late 80s early 90s gold box games from SSI yeah. so we've just finished Pool of Radiance and what there's do you think? no pool in it uh, well, and that's the funny thing, because I remember for the computer game, there should be a pool in that sort of final scene we, we played in the last game, but I mean, how did you feel about the climax of the game? Yeah, I thought it went pretty well. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it ended with a dragon fight, which is, you know, usually the way you want to sort of have a climactic battle in, in D&D. Yeah, I mean, dragon fights are always a bit, a bit odd in D&D, because dragons are supposed to be so powerful. Yeah. But a few bad rolls, and suddenly they come off a bit... Well, it's, it's, a, it's a case of either you're prepared for it, in which case they're not that dangerous, or you're not prepared for it, in which case you're screwed. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, a lot like that. Yeah we, had, yeah, we had things in place initially to sort of prevent breath weapons from being used while we're all bunched up, and, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that, was, that was a good end of that um, section. We're going to have, the, I think, maybe a couple-week break before we start the next one. Uh, I'm actually planning to uh, run a con game of Feng Shui 2, so we're going to maybe try playtesting that. Yeah. Although that being said, I mean, I've done a sort of an 80s action movie style cliche game, but I I worry about if I go to a con these days, well, 80s action movie cliches meaning to most of the new players. I suppose there'll be plenty of enough of old players who remember 80s action movies. And most younger people have still seen terrible 80s action movies. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, what else? Uh, I also have been running Numenera. So I've, I've run two games of Numenera since the um, last time we podcasted, which has been going alright it's been um, it's actually events of my game last night or events I nearly got to my game last night have been one of the sort of triggers for one of the conversation topics for today actually so okay. uh, it's been going alright and then I've also run my Scion game so I've yeah. uh, been still enjoying that still uh, it's been going on for now four years now so it's, a, it's always good to have a long lasting campaign You've done any gaming outside of this? Just lots of work Lots of work That's it <laughs> And a holiday And a holiday that's true uh, okay, so today's show, so it's Dark Heresy, we'll do our news section, uh, then we've actually, we're going to extend our news section into our main discussion topic, because there's some big, uh, not news, I guess, big rumours going around that we should probably address about the future of 40k um, role-playing, yep. or Warhammer role-playing in general. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Crusader role from Dark Heresy 2nd Edition, do plot hooks and war gear. For the review, so I went back to look at what first ed books we haven't still reviewed, and there's plenty of sort of splat books we haven't done, but I decided that I really want to, 
I've been waiting to talk about the Harlock Trilogy. We've mentioned it several times, but I want to actually go in-depth about the Harlock Trilogy events. And so we're going to do part one of a four-part series on the Harlock Trilogy. So, okay, sounds good. Um, then the topic I've got for our second conversation, which is from last night's gaming, is about when you actively want to railroad the group, or you, you, when you have basically a, a predetermined outcome that you need to deliver without losing player... Um, I guess, uh, buy-in and uh, an agency as well. Okay. Because we talk about railroading, but always in a negative negative sense anyway. Yeah, sometimes you have to. Yeah. And then finally we'll do our community section and finish off the show. Okay. So let's get straight into it. Command acknowledged accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, so for the news, I mean, I guess the one thing that's happened since our last show is that the official end date has passed on FFG's license. So I want to thank everybody who also participated in our hashtag Thanks for the Heresy. On, uh, on Twitter and Facebook, that, that was really great. Uh, and obviously, we still appreciate those guys a, a whole a whole bunch. Um, there is a topic I want to go into more depth about, but that one is what we will move to our, our main discussion section. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, general GW news, because they've been dropping a lot of law bombs recently with yep. part three of The Gathering Storm. Um, so, I mean, would you say that the return of Primarch is probably one of the major events in 40k for a long time? Yeah, yeah I'd say it's probably one of the major events in the last 10,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> probably ranks up there with the death of some of the other Primarchs. You yeah. know. I mean, it's it, it certainly... I mean, we're talking about Gorman here, basically. Yep. So um, it, it certainly plays into a lot of the sort of speculation that was coming about Gorman's return. And uh, I don't think they've really established Gorman as the new sort of emperor yet, but they're... I mean, they said that the Gathering Storm Part 3 is the final part of the current sort of um, storyline they're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts overall on the sort of changes to GW's sort of canon for 40k recently? I've seen a lot of people complaining that, oh, it's it's worked perfectly fine for the last 30 years, why change anything now? Yeah. Which isn't exactly true. Because if you look at Rogue Trader to now, there's been a lot of changes in the last 30 years. Yeah, uh, Squats are gone, Tyranids have appeared... Zotes have gone. Necrons um, have appeared. Necrons Tower have appeared. Tower have appeared. Yeah. There's a vast amount of changes that have happened over the last 30 years, but none of them have really driven the story any further. Like, yeah. the Black Crusades have come and gone, but they've always failed because... They've had to fail because the storyline can't progress yeah. much further. And so they finally decided, oh, we're, we're going to have to move the story forward. We're going to have to update things. Fair enough. I, it's... Not exactly what I was expecting with the return of Gulliman, yeah. but it's not bad. Well, how so? Like, what were you expecting that's different? Um, I was just expecting it to be a little less, he just gets better and gets up sort of thing. Okay, there'd be more sort of meta plot around what, what's been going on. And, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I don't know, I mean, they might release a bunch of books through Black Library that go deeper into the lore of what's happening. Well, they, they've teased the next part of their storyline, which seems to focus more on the uh, Blood Angels so the, the next major book coming out in the series is The Devastation of Baal. So I guess that, you know, yeah. Baal is going to face some problems <laughs> very soon. I mean, it, it already had a whole bunch of problems re- recently. So, um, but I mean, I guess they're, they're moving now towards the, um, uh, the blade. And they can't really bring back some Gwynius easily. But, uh, well, sort of <laughs> you say that, but I'm pretty sure they could find a way. And I'm, I, I personally, I think that they will be. I yeah, think he think? will be the next one to come back sanguineous. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it that, that's a big call, but they've, they've had this golden angel character floating around for Blood Angels that appears and suddenly saves everyone, and it's a 
mystical golden angel from the past. And okay. Oh, I think it's possibly the spirit of Sanguinius returning. Because, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you know, Sanguinius's death on the Spirit of Vengeance was sort of like the final impetus for the Emperor to actually slay Horus. Yeah. And you, and you sort of wonder if, you know, when you, when you bring those characters back, do you belittle that, you know, the, the, the sort of story concept of that sacrifice? People do it all the time. Yeah. I'm not saying, it's, I'm not saying they don't do it. I'm saying it's a poor literary concept. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same as... I suppose Alien Three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You. You well, watched. So, 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 that was, Alien Three. I did, was there an Alien Three? Yeah. Yeah. I don't recall such a film. No. no. <laughs> I always Where she one. spends so long saving Newt, and then <laughs> Newt doesn't even die on screen. Yeah. I, I mean, I just figured Alien Three was like you know one of those films like Highlander Two they just never made. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Highlander Two is pretty dreadful. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so so big stuff happening in the GW canon storyline as such, and, and it's still got a, more to develop. So I yeah. guess we'll just just watch this space. But certainly the, the figures that came out have been nice, like the, the figure of Gulliman and the the, 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 the Primarchs, um, uh, like the sort of command squad is a is a very nice setup as well. So yeah. Um, all right, and I guess the other GW news is we've seen the sort of announcement of Armageddon now. Yeah. which in many ways appears to be a spiritual successor to Necromunda. Very much. So so what we're talking about here is a 40k-based squad skirmish game. Um, Mike, you read a bit more about it. You, yeah, you know? it, it looks very much like Necromunda. So it's eight factions for the start. The box comes with some beautiful terrain. Yep. Orcs and Space Marine Scouts. Yep. You know, the possibility to expand into eight factions, so I'm guessing probably... Gene Stealer, Colts, Imperial Guard, Chaos. Yeah, the, 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 the usual suspects. The usual yeah. suspects which were involved, which have been in the past involved in Armageddon. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, I mean. Build, you build a squad, they gather experience and equipment. Individual character, like equipment and, and progression, basically. So, yeah. 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 So, yes. very much like Necromunda. There's a lot of rumours going around that they'll be releasing something that allows you to use your old Necromunda gangs. Okay. So it will be Necromunda 2, essentially, but right. with an option of... Conven- like more sort of conventional army forces, basically. Conventional yeah. army forces as well, so... Yeah, I mean, these sorts of games are good because... I mean, I always viewed Necromunda as the, as the 40k blood bowl. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of had the, the team sort of arrangement with individual character progression and you could sort of do campaign style play. I mean, we've had seen games like Betrayal at Kauth and, and um, uh, what was the assassination? Um, uh, uh, Execution Force recently, for Execution example. Execution Force, Burning w- of Prospero. Yeah. Which are sort of board game like. You know, yes, they have scenarios, but they are sort of set up for a particular sort of set of circumstances. Where, as games like Blood Bowl and Necromunda in the past allowed you to only put in a small dollar commitment you know you buy the game you buy a squad and you've got enough to play effectively a campaign game it's not just a here is your um here's your squad and also here, here, here is your sort of set of scenarios you can play that's all you can really do here you can make up whatever you want to make up so i mean i think that these things are very good for bringing new players into the setting yeah um, necromunda was also very good for painting and conversions. Yeah. Because people would practice new things, they'd have to do weapon swaps as their characters improved, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it really did help the hobby side of it as well, especially for some of the newer players. You don't want to convert an entire army. Yeah. Well, most people don't want to convert an entire <laughs> army. But a single squad and painting a single squad, much, much more 
impossible for most people. That's it, yeah. So I, I told this week, didn't I? I got my airbrush out finally and started trying some airbrushing. Yeah. I mean, obviously not, not, not Gangs Workshop scale miniatures. I was doing sort of larger models, but I uh, finally decided to try and get my head around using an airbrush. Although I need to um, get one of those. I need to get a holder for the airbrush and put it into when you're not using it because it's really hard to handle when it's got like an open paint pot on top. Yeah. You know, when it's sort of tipping out. But yeah, yeah so anyway, so getting back into the doing a bit more painting as well. Yeah, so some interesting stuff from, from GW there. Uh, I'll just say, um, probably on Eternal Crusade, I think that now the game is fully released, we probably won't cover it so much. Like, I, I, I've sort of been devoting less time to watching the, the regular updates and such. But what I will say is that they have just launched their free Carnage mode, so it is there is now a free-to-play option, which, remember originally they talked about it would just be one faction like Orcs or something? What they've actually done is yeah. it's you've got full factional access but you don't have access to all of the um, character archetypes within the faction, and progression is significantly slower when you're in, in free-to-play mode. So, Well, it'll give people who are interested in the game but not sure if they want to spend the money on it a chance to have a play, yeah, see what it's it. like, and make a decision. That's it. Actually, one thing I want to say quickly, it's completely un-40k related, but I, I sort of we've seen more and more games have this sort of player versus player and player versus environment style MMO setup, and I quite like what's happened with so next week we've got coming out the new Mass Effect game Andromeda and um, if you're an EA Access member or Origin Access member you've had access to it for a couple of days already uh, in like a 10 hour pre-release um, trial I guess and so Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3 I think had a very popular multiplayer thing long after the game came out where you pretty much had once again player versus player or player versus environments type things in a in a single map, but that they seem to have really expanded that in the new game where they've got a mechanic where in the single player campaign you have like a resource management mini game where you sort of send you recruit squads and you send squads on timed missions to, you know, complete objectives and they have success chance have a percentage chance of success as such. And, and there are certain missions that are high um, difficulty missions as such where when you send the squad you can either you know say, okay, I'm I'm gonna have the, the squad can auto play with a 35% success chance, or it can basically put that into my multiplayer queue, so the next time I join multiplayer, the next cooperative game I do is actually that squad doing that mission. Okay. Yeah, so it sort of like blends the multiplayer and single player, so I thought that was quite a nice way of sort of putting that together. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, so, let's let's move on from this news section and get into our, our sort of big news discussion. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So let's start talking about What's happening now, what, what's probably happening now with the Warhammer RPG licenses, and, and I will say here that everything is here is unconfirmed. This is all, you know, speculation, collection of interesting data, etc., that we've come across, and uh, I, 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 this actually happened before our last show, and we were a bit like, slow on the uptake to actually report on this, so chances are you probably heard about this for, for some time now, but uh, so there was news sort of semi-leaked recently, uh, when I say recently, right at the end of January that a UK-based gaming company called Cubicle 7 had picked up the license at least for Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Uh, and so the, the, where this has come from is that uh, there is a, a website which is called um, Zweihander, the Grim and Perilous RPG, which is grimandperilous.com, which is basically a fan project to recreate a proto-clone of the Warhammer uh, Fantasy RPG without treading on any sort of um, uh, licensing issues and such. Like, they, they sort of tr- tried to commons as much as they can of this, the system to see, that allow people to do their own adaptations and play in the Warhammer universe without 
breaching without stepping on GW's toes. Yeah. Anyway, so they observed that there was on on Drythor RPG. So all of the Warhammer properties are now taken down as far as you can't buy any of the Warhammer books on Drythor RPG anymore. But they still appear in your library if you have bought them. And in the various columns, one of the columns is who is the publisher. And they observed that the um, the publisher for all of the Warhammer Fantasy properties changed from Fantasy Flight Games to Cubicle 7 Entertainment. Uh, now I've checked, this, this hasn't happened with the 40k ones, but it's certainly happened with, with the Fantasy RPG ones. Um, what's more, normally when you go to a an actual developer's page on Trithor RPG, it'll have a uh, list of all the games they do. And apparently for a short while, Warhammer Fantasy RPG appeared on the page for Cubicle 7, okay. uh, which you could click on a link to and it would be up the regular blurb page. Um, there were no actual products listed there, but it sort of had, you know, here is a blurb for Warhammer Fantasy RPG underneath Cubicle 7, basically. Uh, now, that, that's been taken down, but the actual page with the blurb is actually... You can, the, the link the link is gone, but if you people have actually saved the link and you can actually follow it and that page is still there with the blurb for Warhammer Fantasy RPG under Cubicle 7 Entertainment as well. So um, this has led everyone to speculate that Cubicle 7 has taken on the license. Somebody posted on their Facebook page saying, you know, hey, have you guys got the Warhammer Fantasy RPG license? And uh, the response is something along the lines of, you know, we couldn't possibly comment on that Grim and Perilous rumour, you know, knowing that it's obviously come through the Grim and Perilous Zweihander website. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, is, a, is a, one of those sort of responses that you would expect for, if, if anyone involved in GW we can't say yes we can't say no uh, we can't say yes we can't say no but we can strongly intimate that the answer is yes <laughs> that's it yeah so uh, it, it seems highly likely under the circumstances and it, I mean, it still shows them as the property holders on drive RPG for if you've already got the books yeah um, so a little bit about Cubicle 7 they're UK based um, they really have two current RPG licenses. So one of them is the One Ring RPG, which is effectively role-playing in, in Middle-earth, which I think fits well with GW, given that GW already does the Lord of the Rings miniatures games. So there may have been a connection there. And the other property they do is the Doctor Who RPG. And they've also done like a number of Doctor Who board games, I believe, as well. So Now, I haven't played either the One Ring or the Doctor Who RPG, so I really can't comment on the, the quality. Well, that's because if you're doing Middle-Earth role-playing, you can't go past Rollmaster and its thousands of charts. <laughs> and and I, I, Doctor Who lost me when he got more more, more um, regenerations than they originally specified. Like, oh, oh. Canon, canon mind is destroyed. <sighs> they've, they've changed something in my fantasy setting, and now I can't believe it's real. That's right, yeah. Um, but anyway, so but I do. Know, I have friends that have played the Doctor Who RPG. So next time I catch up with them, which will probably be at the con in a few weeks' time, I'll actually ask them more about this company. So from what I can see, looking at their details, that they're not a large mob. You know, we're sort of talking, I think, about eight or nine regular developers, mm-hmm. uh, and nor do they have a particularly robust release schedule. Um, you know, most of the properties I have only have you know a half dozen books at most. Plus, they do other board games, etc., as well. Um, but I, I mean, I guess it's a it's a good good fit for GW being UK-based. A lot of people had sort of speculated that Modifius might pick up the license, given they picked up Star Trek recently and Mutant Chronicles. But, um, yeah, and and there's been no speculation, no rumour anything to do with whether or not Cubicle 7 has any access to 40K. Okay, so um, the question is for fantasy. Yes. Is it the new setting or the old setting? Uh, 
Well, the, the blurb looks like it's the new setting. So, so it looks like it's set in the Age of Sigma. Yeah. Okay, so there's a possibility that if they were going to go for the 40k license, they might just be waiting until all the changes. Happen. And and that's been the speculation is yeah. that you know we're going through some world changing events right now. You know, we're only we're less than a month out of the termination of the last license. You know, at the end of the day, um, you may find that from legality purposes that even if uh, Cubicle Seven did pick it up straight away. That they've got, to, they can only start developing from now on, and you know, it takes over a year often to bring an RPG book to print from initial concept. You know, yeah. Um, so more in many cases. Uh, so anyway, um, that's a bit of speculation. Um, I, I think that it's reasonable to say that we probably won't see anything new for 40k RPGs, even if there is a license pickup, probably until 2018. But it's good to know that. Um, I think this is a result of GW's recent visit to Las Vegas and the, you know, the, the fact that the owner is clearly, or the, the CEO, certainly the, the CEO is clearly um, committed. Committed to. <laughs> it is a big. I know it's a big change from their past. Uh, we, but... get, we get sued by somebody. Uh, no, it's um, uh, it's it's clearly committed to this concept of getting the, the product out there in as many formats as possible. Yeah. Even if it's not being done by GW directly. Because um, I mean that was the I mean the, the, the game system we covered was nearly aborted before it took off with the creation of with, with, the, with the closing of Black Industries. Yeah. Uh, because they were first they tried everything in house, but the fact that they actually took the took the punt and put it out there uh, into someone else, I think, was very successful. I don't know whether it, it was a big money spinner, but it, I may have brought people back. It certainly it, it brought me at least back to playing the war game and buying the war game more because I really wasn't doing it much prior to the release of the RPGs. Yeah, you know, but I've certainly bought minis and converted minis for the RPGs and played the the war game several times. I bought every edition of the war game since the RPG game came out. You know, so yeah, I think it's a good outcome for GW altogether, and I hope it, we see it continue. Yeah, that's probably it for that bit. I mean, it's I know it's a sort of a, a shorter discussion, but I think it's something that was worth covering. And um, yeah, well, I guess we'll certainly as soon as we've got any sort of confirmation from. Cubicle Seven, they have definitely got this license, you know, and they're, they're willing to talk about. It. Even if it's just about the Warhammer Fantasy RPG, we'll we'll probably reach out to them and see if we can lock them down for a, for a chat as well. So yeah, sounds yeah, good. That's it. All right, then let's keep going, shall we? All supplicants report to the administrator for career assignment. Okay, career discussion time, and this time we're going to be talking about the Crusader from Dark Age Second Edition. You know, the, the character that proves that the best defense is a lot more offense. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we'll, we'll go through some of the reasons why we sort of find this one a bit odd, but uh, let's talk first off about what the role of the Crusader is in Dark Heresy. So, so what, what makes a Crusader distinct from a warrior, I think is probably the first things to really look at covering off. So I'd say that the, the shtick of the Crusader is that they are the most equipped to fight demons. Yes. You know, that they are basically individuals who are, um, for whatever reason, have, have trained their minds, trained their bodies, and are able to stand toe-to-toe with demons, which is not always a good idea, but, you know, sometimes required in the, in the 40K universe. Um, certainly the way they usually do that is through the fact most of them have unyielding faith. You know, that they are usually fervent believers, uh, and it's that, it's that which allows them to actually fight. And... Because most demons, you know, it's a lot harder to get holy ballistic weapons. So Crusaders are primarily a, a melee 
combatant. Melee combatant, that's it. You know, they, they literally stand face-to-face with demons or maybe face-to-groin or face-to-kneecap sometimes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, they're, they're used to getting up close and personal with demons. Um, their special ability, which is called Smite the Unholy, is actually, I think, a really good special ability. So first off, it allows you to spend a fate point to automatically pass any fear test with degrees of success equal to your willpower. But it's not that degrees of success really matter that much in a fear test. But when you damage an opponent in melee where the opponent has a fear rating, you add their fear rating to your penetration and damage. So, you know... It, it the, the more scary they are, the yeah, better it's, it's, you it's, are it's against the, them. The, the bigger they are, the harder they fall sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I think that's a pretty cool um, special ability. Anyway, it's, it's better oh, yeah, than just definitely. the standard fate point to succeed in a particular task anyway. So, yeah. And certainly, I can see why there's plenty of times you'd want to just commit to passing this fear roll. The only kicker is that... Um, oh, no, I'm thinking of... No, that's right. I'm thinking of one of the, um, the, the talents. But, yeah, so, so certainly... Uh, no matter how scary something is, you can spend the fake point to automatically not be, pass, not, 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 not run away or, or stand around vomiting. Exactly right. Uh, Characteristic-wise, for a Crusader, I mean, weapon skill is going to be their primary combat stat. Um, they're going to need toughness because they're going to be taking big hits coming back from most demons, or you know, they're going to be attacking demons that have clouds of pestilence or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, strength always goes well with weapon skill builds because you actually want to deal more damage. And I guess willpower, because yeah. they'll be subject to all sorts of psychic attack and probably make lots of fear tests as well. You know, they and can't, they're they not going to have enough fate points to ignore all of them. Yes. Exactly right, yeah. I mean, Fellowship dumps that, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't Intelli- imagine too many demon fighters are, are really great conversationalists. Yeah, Intelligence dumps that. I don't know how smart you are if you uh, choose to fight <laughs> demons. Or- <laughs> if you dedicate your life to fighting demons, you're probably not a genius. <laughs> that's uh, it. Well, it's debatable, but I, I can certainly see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that's it. Uh, skills? I don't really think they're a skill-heavy build. I think they're more of a talent-heavy build. I think parry's probably... Parry, dodge. Parry, dodge. Um, athletics, I guess, you know, they're probably athletics. physically capable. Yeah. Uh, Intimidate. Yeah, awareness. Awareness. Um, so, now, here's the interesting one. Sinistians. There are plenty of ways to get Sinistians without being a psycho. Yeah. And I think that this would actually quite fit well with a, with a Crusader. That yeah. sort of that, that knowledge of the unnatural... And certainly forbidden lore to go on with that as well. If, you, if you're going to be a sort of witch hunter type character you know being able to smell out the witch that's it yeah exactly uh, and actually that's a good point the other one I write, oh, I put down here as a social skill is scrutiny yeah you know because sometimes the, the, the demon is um, is hidden and you know you need to sort of root out where, where it's come from as such and scrutiny is a good skill for that so plus logic you've got to know that if it's heavier than a duck it's a it's a <laughs> <laughs> build a bridge out of it that's right that's it it'll be, it'll be completely mismanaged when it's not a Monty Python fan yeah uh, Alright, so um, talents, I put quite a few here. So, um, Blade Master lets you re-roll one miss, one miss um, each round, which is a pretty good one for yeah. when you want to deal as much damage as possible. I put down Blind Fighting, because it's putting a circumstance where you might fight demons who are either invisible... Or that or, you don't want to look at. Or you don't want to look at, or in environments where you have to keep your eyes closed and such, you know. So, Blind Fighting might be good. Combat Master, so you can't be, because, you know, p- p- chances are if you're fighting demons that the rest of your party are hanging back, shooting from a distance, so you want to make sure that, you know, if you do get gained up on it, they get big bonuses. Uh, Counter Attack allows you to strike back with a penalty after a successful parry, which is, goes well with parry. Uh, Deny the Witch, which is one of their optional um, optional abilities, lets you evade psychic attacks uh, with willpower. Yeah. Uh, Frenzy might be alright, but I'd put Frenzy with Battle Rage as well, so you can still parry while frenzied. Hatred, definitely probably Hatred Demons is, is probably the main one. 
um, jaded because you know that's, <laughs> I think mundane horrors are, are pretty pretty low on your list now. Yeah, uh, and that also allows you later on by adamantine faith, um, which um, allows you to uh, remove your willpower bonus from your degrees of failure on a fear or pinning check, potentially reducing it to zero, in which case it counts as a success. Yeah. So that's another bad one. Um, here's an image you want to put down. Mastery, skill mastery. Uh, I thought about um, putting down something like skill mastery parry, because skill mastery allows you to spend a fate point to auto-succeed in a roll. So if you know there's a big hit coming, a guaranteed parry um, might be a way of mitigating that. The only kicker is that you can only use it when the total difficulty is plus zero, which most parry checks are because they're opposed checks, yeah. not a check which gets more or less difficult, you know, unless you've got an unwieldy weapon, for example. Yeah. But, you know, um, in most cases, your parry check will be either a zero or a plus ten. Um, so, not I, I think that's actually a good choice, yeah. 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 Um, natural speed doubles your charge distance. So, if you have that problem where you, you know, just can't get into combat fast enough, that helps you do that. I, I guess sprints as well goes well with that. Yeah. Um, and then resistances, so particularly resistance fear, because that lets you then buy strong-minded. So, you can... I'm um, oh, sorry, that's no, so resistance psychic powers lets you buy strong-minded. But resistance fear, I think, is also a requirement for... Adamantine faith. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, resistance is probably a good idea for for a uh, crusader. Probably want a couple of resistances like resistance disease or poison as well. Exactly. Might right. be a good choice. Yep. So let's look at home worlds and backgrounds, and I guess this is where what our problem with the crusader has really come from is that they when you look at the crusader's aptitudes, two aptitudes that they don't get are. Um, Defense. Defense, yeah. And they don't get finesse either, so things like dodge are going to be very expensive. And they don't get weapon skill. So, you know, parry's going to be enormously expensive for them as well. You know, so um, they get willpower. That's probably the main one that, you know, and, and toughness and strength and offense, but but no no defense, no weapon skill. Weapon skill. And because given that they are um, a... They're always described as a defender-type character. You know, yeah, a bodyguard, sort of... defender-type character, standing there, letting the rain of blows land on them. Which yeah. is great, except for if you don't have weapon skill and defense, it's, it's going to get expensive. Yeah, I mean, the archetypal crusader is the individual that stands behind the power shield, defending the Inquisitor as such, you know. So, yeah. um, <laughs> they, they're, uh, it, it seems to be that, that they've gone to the idea, like I said before, that the best, the best defense is lots and lots and lots of offense. Just, you know, kill it before it can kill me, maybe. But uh, so I, I took that into account when thinking about what um, different options might be best for, uh, for, for the build. So looking at home worlds, I, I put down four here. So I've got Feral World, because it gives you a high strength, high toughness, and the toughness aptitude. Obviously, you've already got toughness, but it means you can you use that for weapon skill, yeah. Yep. Um, either Shrine World or Demon World give you a high willpower and the willpower aptitude, so once again, you can put it into something else. Uh, and then Feudal World gives you a high weapon skill and the weapon skill aptitude. Yep. So that, that, that one helps, sort of helps round out that missing step. For backgrounds, um, I thought that. So that the best way to get defense. Well, the way, I looked at ways to get defense, because that's the only, way, only place you can really pick it up is through, through background. Backgrounds. So there you're looking at either Adeptus Arbites. Um, Adeptus Astrotelepathica gives you defense, and it also gives you Forbidden Law of the Warp. So you wouldn't be a, a psycho in this case, but you could be someone who's been around psychos and seen lots of warp incursions and now uh, fights demons. Now <laughs> fights demons, that's yeah. certainly possible, yes. Um, but by far the best is Exercised. Yes. Because Exercised gives you Dodge, Forbidden Law Demonology, Hatred Demons, and the Defense Aptitude. Yeah. 
So you know, absolutely, it's the best. Yeah, yeah really nice combination there. Um, but yeah, and the concept pretty much writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah. I was possessed by a demon, now I fight demons. Yeah. I mean, except that you get no melee weapons, no melee weapon training, and no um, weapon skill by doing that build. So, well, you could go feudal world excised crusader. Still not going to be weapon trained low tech. Yeah, that's so, what experience that's is exactly for. Exactly right, yeah. Let's go into our character builds now, because I guess that, that's what we've really looked at here. So I've done three builds as normal. Uh, so the first one I've looked at is, we'll just call it the Faithful Defender. This is the the typical Crusader that, as per the sort of fluff in the uh, in the war game rules. So here we've gone for a Shrine World, Adeptus Minister, and Crusader. Yeah. So definitely two of the options that we didn't discuss as being good builds for good for a Crusader build, but at the end of the day, it's more about fluff than anything else. So they have a high fellowship, dumps that, uh, but but a high willpower as well, low perception. I don't know that perception really hurts the Crusader. I think most of their enemies are quite overt. Yes. Um, but you know, we didn't well, have the That's true. Yeah. Uh, so the skills would be charm, command, common law, adeptus storm, scrutiny, and linguistics by gothic. So only really one very useful skill there for the build. Uh, talents, weapon training, low tech and solid projectile instead of flame. You know, they, they would probably want to get that low tech in there. And I give that one bodyguard as well because they are more the defender. Uh, equipment will be a warhammer, stub revolver, flak vest, backpack, glow globe, and monotar servitor skull. So, typical sort of minister and build there. Yeah, the warhammer's the useful thing there. The good thing with pretty much all the ones I've done here is they're all relatively high fate thresholds because you're going to need a lot of fate. So, this one's a three base with a six plus, so you've got a good chance. We've got an odds on chance of. Um, of picking up a fourth point, so that's a good start. Aptitudes will be willpower, leadership, knowledge, offense, strength, toughness, and the second willpower, change weapon skill. Okay, Come not bad. Yep. So all that one's really missing is the defense, basically. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the second one we've got here, I put down as the this is the one we talked about before the the return from the brink character. So here we've got a demon world excised crusader. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here they're going to have a high willpower, high perception, low fellowship. It's all right. Skills will be awareness, inquiry, dodge, forbidden law, demonology, scrutiny. Good setup there. Talents: hatred, demon, weapon training, solid projectile, and chain. And deny the witch. Uh, equipment will be an auto pistol, shotgun, chain blade, imperial robes, three doses of trank, excruciated kit, rebreather, and stab one. So I need to, I need to recant now. I just realised that I was saying about how. They don't get any melee, but they get chained, not low, low tech. So yeah. that's fine. Okay, yeah. All right. go back and go back, go back and unlisten to that part I mentioned before. Um, so fate threshold of three with a four plus, so even better chance of a. Yeah, a the only thing they're threshold. really missing in the gear wise is armor. Yeah, Imperial right, yeah. robes probably not going to protect you against a rampaging demon. No, that's true, and they're only seven plus one to five wounds again as well. So low wound threshold yeah, is a yeah. demon well. So one, yeah. one hitting you down, so yeah. gonna have to buy a couple of wounds there. Yeah. Aptitudes, willpower, defense, knowledge, offense, strength, toughness, and once again, swapping second willpower for weapon skill. I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's certainly the build that I'd be you know, that, That's the build I'd be using, yeah. for sure. And then, third one for good measure, I thought, okay, let's look at the, the sole survivor of a, of a demonic incursion. So here we went for a feudal world, imperial guard, crusader. So someone who's already a skilled yeah, fighter. I wouldn't have gone feudal world. I would have gone... Uh, what's the name of it? The... Quarantine I went for Feudal World because of the weapon skill buff, and ah, okay. yeah, and, and to get the and to get the um, the aptitude. So, so high perception, high weapon skill, low intelligence. Yep. Skills: Athletics, Common Law, Imperial Guard, Medicaid, Navigate Surface. Talents are going to get Laz, Low Tech, and Bodyguard. 
So it could be a las pistol sort. I went for, I went for the melee and range combination rather than the las, las rifle. Uh, combat vest, guard flak armor, grapple online, low sticks and binoculars. And then once again a three with a six plus, so decent yeah, chance of fourth rate. Aptitudes would be weapon skill, field craft. So field craft goes along with some of the stuff as well. I thought better than leadership in this case. Definitely. Um, knowledge, offense, strength, toughness, willpower. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And nine plus one d five wounds. They've got a higher wound threshold. But that said, you could make a leadership build crusader. Yeah, certainly you could. Certainly you could. Yeah. I mean, just just because we're saying, oh, we dump stat fellowship. It depends what you want to make the character into. Yeah. I mean, if you're going, I want to become an inquisitor at some point. Leadership and fellowship is probably not a bad choice to have. It's funny because if you read the fluff, not a lot of crusaders do become inquisitors. Yeah. Um, because you know they, they sort they're of have, a bit zealous. They're a bit zealous, and they tend to die. Possibly overzealous, <laughs> if there is such a thing. <laughs> well, it's about how to play a crusader. I mean, you got to remember that they're all about faith and fire. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's if you if you don't want to play this for a battle, but you want to play that sort of archetype, the crusader is a good way to go. And in fact. Uh, it, it, we could have just done, done a adeptus, um, uh, sorry, De- adeptus sororitas build of the crusader. The one advantage there is I get parry, um, but I didn't really see anything else in the sororitas that really screamed out mechanically for them as such. But I mean, it would it would be a ma- good matching build as well. Yeah. Um, I guess you've got to realise that this character is here to fight the unfightable foes. Yes, you're so, the meat shield. That's it, yeah. yeah. So it's the sort of character that doesn't sort of say, look, this guy looks too tough, maybe we should run away and fight another day. This is the guy that says, you know... This guy, looks too, go. This, this guy looks too tough, I'll hold him off while you guys run away and fight another uh, day. That's right, come over and go if you think you're hard enough. Yeah. Um, and I guess that leads to the third point, which is you've got to realise you're playing a crusader that, that death is a real possibility. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the, not many crusaders live to retire old and, you know, on the wealth of their escapades. They, no. <laughs> they, they die violent deaths. Or get possessed. You know, or um, get eaten. Or get eaten. Exactly right, yeah. So, yeah. Although, call it a violent death. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, don't know. If, I, I, I guess if you're eaten by a snake, it could be a tender death. <laughs> if you're eaten by a snake, demon, I don't know. Well, it depends if you're eaten alive. <laughs> I mean, in which case, it's more of a dissolving death. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, some, some ideas there for playing a cruise. I, I think it's it's quite. It actually, it actually is quite distinct from a warrior. Yes. Um, I, I think enough that you could have both in a game and not feel like either is stepping on the other's toes. So, alright, let's keep going. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium, stand by to receive orders. Okay, plot wise, I was trying to think about what you could do with um, with the bodyguard concept, you know, and, and there were there were two ideas that came to mind. So I haven't really got either of these written up as like a, a blurb sort of thing. Uh, let, let me guess. Deptus Ministorum is getting death threats. So high as a bodyguard, they fall in love. Then it turns out to be another bodyguard, and he saves the day at the last minute. <laughs> so it's funny you say that because one of the ideas, when it says like bodyguard, one of the ideas was okay. What about the you know you explore the connection between the the uh, the, the bodyguard and the and the principal? Oh um, no! <laughs> you did, didn't you? You ripped <laughs> off the bodyguard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, why, come on, why not? You know? uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, is the adeptus ministerum actually like? A priest, I, I, I or, didn't, or are I, they a choir singer? I, I didn't specify. I didn't specify what the background was. It was simply just a case. It has to of be saying, a choir singer now. Yeah, it, it was just a case of saying that you know this led into the whole discussion about how you develop relationship between characters and NPCs, yeah. and potentially that you know you can develop that relationship from a professional one into a into a personal relationship. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I re- yeah. 
And you can also make it that the person you're defending you don't particularly like. I remember long ago a cyberpunk game I, re- I played in yeah. where the person we were supposed to bodyguard this action movie star who was a complete dick yeah. to absolutely everyone. And the people who were trying to kill him were actually hired by the media company to boost publicity and we had to kill all these people and civilians were getting killed everywhere while we were protecting him. And then at the end of the contract, we're walking away and an actual real assassin turns up and we just decided not to save him because the contract was over. Yeah. <laughs> and it was extremely satisfying. Well, I mean, I can say that from my own experience, because you know, having been a re- an actual bodyguard in life, you know, that there's probably very few of my uh, clients that I actually liked. You know, I have none of them listening to the show right now. They might feel a bit jilted about that. But uh, and most of them I didn't like at all. In fact, some of them I was, you know, couldn't wait to finish the job at the end of the day and go home because... You know, seeing looking after this person's safety was was a frustration, <laughs> especially because. And I guess this comes down to any sort of bodyguarding in a plot. I can tell you from actual experience that most people that have been bodyguarded um, have very little care for their own safety, or at least they have they, no they, concept yeah, that they could be in danger. That's it. They, they they don't abide. You have to change the way that you live because there's someone out to actually do harm to you as such. You know, they they, they expect that by getting a bodyguard, I can live the way I always live and go partying and go drinking and go out with friends and they will, that person will see to all my safety needs, you know. Yes. Whereas in reality, most bodyguards are saying, actually, if you go and do this, I can't guarantee your safety. So, uh, anyway, this is getting a bit too real now. I'm getting flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> so, the, I guess the second idea is, uh, and this is more of a campaign jump-off point, is uh, the concept that uh, although your character or characters have a charge... At the start of this particular thing, your charge has been captured, is detained, whatever the case. So the the first the adventure is to actually it's it's an extraction, it's a, it's a rescue extraction, uh, and you know this you could start off a campaign where you say that um, you know the, the Inquisitor's last acolyte group was killed and the Inquisitor was captured, but they managed to get word to someone else who has assembled a new team of acolytes to go and extract the Inquisitor, and that you sort of, in this way you're playing through the first meeting with your eventual um, commanding officer as such. Yeah. So uh, it's a concept about how you might utilise that sort of bodyguard concept. But yeah, certainly, if you want to fall in love, then you know, go for it. I've, go I've not fallen in love with anybody that I've looked after, but, you know, it's... I guess maybe it happens, I don't know. Not, if you, if you, even if you, if you If you're living... Yes. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I hope Kane listens to the. We're talking, we're talking about Kane the wrestler. I have in my past bodyguarded Kane the wrestler, and I, I hope he listens to this show because that'd be awesome. Um, but he was not one of the ones I didn't like. He was one of the principals I actually did quite like, and I don't. It was I don't know why, why I was given that job, given that he was like at least a foot taller than me. Um, but you know that was. It reminds. Uh, it reminds me. by the insurance company, not by Kane himself. It reminds <laughs> me of one of the. the common tropes in, in TV shows, role-playing games, everything, which is somehow the, the, the main bad guy has bodyguards who are worse than him. Yeah, th- th- that, that always struck me as odd. It's like, why do you have bodyguards? Did you see the meme going on recently about the, the guy who's playing Aquaman, who was played by Clay Cal Drogo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so the picture of him with his two bodyguards, and it looks like it. his bodyguards look like sub-bosses you have to fight before you can fight the main boss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's always made kind of no sense. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's keep going. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. All right, Mike. War gear wise, what would you say is the archetypal piece of war gear for a crusader? A shield. A shield. Exactly. And in this case, we're going to talk about the power shield, because at the end of the day, you know. 
Take any any weapon, no matter how good it is, it becomes better when you put the power quality onto it, basically, or the power outfield quality. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the fact that um, the game, these game systems present shields as weapons. Yeah, because a shield is, is something that you wield. It has the defensive quality, which allows to act in the scope of the shield, but, you know, shields were quite effective at also hitting people as well. Yes. Especially a shield which has a power field around it which separates molecules that it moves past, basically. So, And I guess the key advantage of having power field on a shield is that any non-power weapon you block with it is going to get destroyed. Yes. So, you know, it's a, it's a, even, if you don't, even if you can't afford a power weapon or you want to have something else that's like a... You, know, you might have a holy weapon, for example, as your yeah. actual striking weapon, which has no power field. It's just a holy mace or, or wire. But your power field allows you to be quite effective, quite an effective defender as well, or power shield. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only real downside of the power shield is yeah. it's expensive. Yes. It is. It's difficult to get. I think it's extremely rare. I think it's one of those, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things that would be a, on your character's wish list. And it, it only does D10 damage plus strength bonus, but I mean, still, it's got the penetration of a power weapon. Yeah, um, the main advantage is it's got the defensive collie, which gives it, what, plus 30 to parry or plus 20 to parry? Not from memory, yeah. And it's not going to get destroyed when you parry your power. Yeah, and that's, that's the problem with the regular shield is yeah. that you know you, you really you can't power <laughs> power weapons with it because it's going to be gone straight away. Yeah. So yeah, only a short one, but certainly that's it's it's in um, Enemies Beyond the yeah. the power shield. So certainly look it up if you're a defensive character, even if you're not a crusader, it's a good way to go. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and yeah. Yeah. All right. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. So on to our review, and this is one I've been wanting to do for ages. Well, I've been wanting to start this series for ages, and I've been thinking, uh, we always had the policy, we'd always go through spite books before we covered adventures, but I think this adventure is old enough now, and we're getting sort of far enough along in our run, I, just, I really want to talk about this. Yeah. And we've already spoken about it in, in, in a lot of context, but we're in a deep dive now, and that is about the Harlock Trilogy. So this is going to be the first of a four-part series. Now, but James, you say, it's a trilogy, why is there a four-part series? Uh, and that is because there is a precursor module to the Harlot Trilogy that exists in uh, Disciples of the Dark Gods, which is called House of Dust and Ash. Yeah. And for anybody that's going to run Harlot Trilogy, I said it all the way back in episode six, you know, if you want to hear the review of that book, which has a, a minor review of House of Dust and Ash, um, you, know, you can go back to episode six. But um, yeah, if you're going to run Harlot Trilogy, you've got to run House of Dust and Ash first because it adds, it gives you so much opportunity to add more stuff to the sort of the mythos behind the Harlock line basically. Yeah. So let's start by talking about House of Dust and Ash. And this is one of the you, you, you played this when we first yeah, read yeah, it? Yeah, okay. I yeah, so, played through the whole lot. That's it. So it's um you know Cybers of the Dark Gods actually was one of the few books that was actually still published by it was it was back in was back in issues, I think the disciples did they? Um, uh, I think FFG? they may have. Yeah. Um I, I think it was no, the last. No, no, FFG. It was, it, it was, was the, the first. first it was either, yeah, I was thinking yeah. it was either the last one Black Industries did or the first, first one. one that um, yeah, the FFG did. did. Yeah, Obviously, it's it's the that, first one I, FFG did. Well, I think that we found out later on that it was a lot of it was already written, just not ready for publication. FFG got out quite quickly because a lot of it was already pre-done in the Black Industries days. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, the the, the storyline of House of Dust and Ash is that the group's Inquisitor has come into the knowledge that uh, there is an auction to be held um, that is about selling off the goods of a now-deceased road trader estate, and that there may be... You know, this road trader was known to have collections of artefacts which may be of questionable legality as such, 
And so the uh, the party is sent along to uh, attend the, the, the great crematoria where it's taking place and uh, be a part of the, the auction process um, and you know, infiltrate and recover any items that are, um, uh, that are that are particularly dangerous. So the game starts off actually um, with a, I guess a, a, a voyage sort of part where effectively the, the group is sent to actually, um, uh, in order to get to the crematorium, they have to basically fly in this skyship. Um, over, over a Zeppelin. Sorry, a Zeppelin. That's it, yes. a Zeppelin. Um, uh, it's on the, on the planet of Solomon. And um, they meet some other people on board that who will be, some of them may be part of the, the uh, auction going forward. Um, but it, 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 A, what it does is it creates a opportunity to interact with some of the players first. Secondly, it allows for a whole bunch of random encounters, let's say, you know, because... Yeah, certainly, you know, there are the people on board the ship have different motivations. Some might seek to assassinate others. Some might um, uh, want to uh, get information or, or try and fill people out. Uh, but then there's also things like pirates attempt to board the sky ship. Uh, you fly past D four Tarasks. Hazards from the environment as well. I mean, at the end of the day, Solomon Sea is a, is a particularly dangerous environment. So, um, yeah, the whole part here is, uh, you know, it's just a, a, a travel montage, you know, so it doesn't add a lot to the storyline, but it's still, I think it's worth playing out because it sort of gets you into the sort of the, the style of the game and you can have a, you have a combat which has no real sort of, um, problems for the, for the latter part of the chronicle, for the latter part of the story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the group reaches, uh, the crematory, which is this gigantic, uh, mausoleum of vaults and crypts uh, in which the, um, the the auction is taking place, which is supposedly where the you know the road traders line, which is the Harlock line, was um, was to be buried. And you know, once again, there's the opportunity here to meet the other potential bidders as well, uh, and to view the artifacts. And there's a number of items in the uh, in the adventure that are, that are detailed. It's encouraged the GM to create more if they like. I think one of the problems is that pretty much everything in there is determined to be as um, uh, heretical. Heretical, you know. So it, it, in the, some way, the difficulty we had with when we ran it was that the players were trying to work out, okay, with the funds we've got, what do we need? What do we want to get the most? You know, like um, because there's already the questions asked in, in the first bit. Like, why can't we just raid it and take everything? And there's re- various reasons why the Inquisition can't just raid this place. Yeah. But you know, the the group was sort of left with the question of, well. What here is the? What, what are the worst artifacts to be getting out there, and what what should we try and obtain now, and what should we just record who purchased, so that the Inquisition can sort them out later on. Um, so the the MacGuffin that is really important, the players won't realise this now, is is a device called the the, the Gilded Widow, which is effectively a statue of a woman in gold, um, at, standing at some sort of augury or, or potentially musical device, with you know. A, a sort of clockwork automata that um, I, I thought she was seeing a little ta- a tarot table so I think so yeah because yeah, yeah. there's a couple there's, there's something else later on as well which is like that in one of the other books in one of the subsequent parts there's a, there's a second construct yeah. later on which wishes the ta- yeah okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been a while I think we did this back in like 2008 or something so what's that like um, yeah, <laughs> nine, nine years ago yeah. <laughs> and I, I have reviewed it recently but uh, anyway um 
But the other thing, the other artifact there that, that I mentioned before, you've got to make use of, is the fact that there is a portrait that shows the picture of a, um, a, a noble, probably a member of the Harlock line. And one of the sort of options it describes in the book is to say that this portrait has a sort of magical thing where if a member of the Harlock bloodline actually passes by the portrait, the picture changes to a picture of that person. Yeah. And that as an optional sort of extra, you can make that be one of the PCs. So it's only changed to a picture of the PC. They don't know. They don't know why at that point in time. It doesn't say. You know, it's not, not, there's no little card saying picture changes to person of the Harlock line. It just says, you know, this picture which has been otherwise inert until now. When this player character walks past it, suddenly it morphs into a picture of them. No, I don't think it was suddenly. I think it was by the next morning. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, if it was suddenly, it'd be a bit too freaky. Yeah. But I mean, I've said it so many times before. If you're doing the Harlot trilogy, it is worth your while to make one of the player characters unknowingly a distant scion of the line um, for various reasons. And this is the first opportunity you have to foreshadow that development. You know, yeah. they, they, they won't learn that fact from just this. But it will certainly be a fantastic foreshadowing element. Uh, anyway, so it progresses then to the to the auction, and uh, this is where I think for a, a, for a point the um, the module goes a little bit downhill, because basically uh, during the auction the um, the Guild of Widow is activated, um, which basically gives a prophecy that relates to the uh, the, the upcoming Carlot trilogy. Um, but also puts the um, the whole crematorium into a lockdown, um, clean sweep thing, where effectively, you know, in, in a number of hours' time, everybody inside is going to die because of you know creatures that are released from the the, the caverns beneath, you know, uh, fire and fire and brimstone, you know, uh, uh, you know, lava will fill every chamber, sort of thing. You know, it, effectively, it goes into a self destruction cycle. Uh, and the reason for this in the storyline is that Harlock himself is, you know, this is unknown to the players at the time, Harlock himself is not actually dead, but what he is trying to do is wipe out his entire entire family line for various reasons that will come up later on. And so his thought is that by holding this auction, he hopes that other members of his family will attend and he can use this device to kill all of them at the same time. Um, at this point in time, a number of the... Uh, people attending the auction are revealed to not be what they appeared to be, in, in, including the fact that there is a um, a sluar or slort, whatever they're called, um, in, in attendance. Which Maggot is, man. yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we've said so many times is, is one of the sort of deadliest enemies in the Dark Heresy First Edition rules, as such. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, and this time they don't actually have the disintegration staff. So. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> He, um, just, he just has these ridiculous stats. <laughs> that's right, yeah, and, and almost total regeneration. Uh, so, yeah, and it pretty much... The problem is that what it gives you is it basically says, okay, I think there's like 10 hours, 10 hours to escape from the, um, uh, from the uh, crematoria, and there are a number of sort of events that have to happen in order as such, so like, as, as the time ticks down, changes... The, it's, it's sort of like... Um, from, from movie concept, I, I'd say it's sort of like the pyramid in the first Aliens vs. Predator film, where as time progresses the structure changes, you know new parts open up um, more horrors get released as such, uh, but the problem is like, 10 hours is a relatively long period of time, especially when in a role playing game you're either doing you know the, the, old, the old cliche of a role playing game, it takes 5 minutes to do a, uh, a 1 hour walk, but 1 hour to do a 5 minute fight, 
So if your characters are fighting, time is passing very, very slowly. Um, and so, you know, it's like, okay, we've just spent the last two hours doing that fight. Okay, how long have we got left? Well, it's now nine hours and 52 minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, or you just, I mean, I found myself sort of hand-waving, like, okay, you search around for two hours and then this happens. Because I, I literally could not create 10 hours of activity. And what that meant was that the tension of the the, the ticking clock really wasn't there. Yeah. You know, it, it needed to be something where, you know, you've got to do all these things in the space of an hour, for example. Yeah, you um, may need to... I felt the same way when we played it, that 10 hours seemed a bit off. Yeah. I think you may have to... If you're running this, you should probably have a look at the actual time limit and decide accordingly to how to change that. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where the outcome is, is succeed or die. Yeah. You know, if, if the group don't get out within the time frame, everybody inside is killed. You know, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> there's no sort of... And, and so it's obviously set up for success. You know, the players are meant to escape and it really comes down to who can they kill and trap in there to be also killed at the same time. And what, what are the artifacts that they recover, for example? Um, you know, then that was certainly what happened in our game is the players were like, get the book, get the book. The book is... The Unbound book is the thing we want the most, you know. And <laughs> I think we ended up just killing everyone and grabbing everything. Yeah. Well, not killing everyone, but killing quite a few. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look, it's a, it's a relatively short game. I think we've run it in the space of maybe four to five hours. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, it has a, a few pacing issues at the end. But overall, I think that it's a, it's a great setup for the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, so when we next do, when we next do a Dark Heritage episode, we'll do a review of the first step in the Harlot trilogy. And I don't think if you... Because remember, they, they republish the Harlot trilogy separately as a collected volume. I don't think that comes with House of Dust and Ash. No. Uh, I think it comes only in um, Cyber of the Dark Gods. I'm and, pretty sure it does, yeah. And, and this is one of the problems with now reviewing these books after the end of the line because you can't even buy these books in PDF anymore. So the only way to find these books is to um, go and find them secondhand in bookstores or find, find, find role-playing stores that happen to have some old stock left over. But um, certainly if you can get your hands on Disciples of the Dark Gods and you're looking at running Hull Trilogy, 100% run House of Dust and Ash first. Yeah. Any other comments from you, Mike, at all? Or? Not really. I think some of the opponents were a bit too difficult for starting characters like yep. the monsters that get released from the vault downstairs the children as they call it yep. yeah the children and yep. the slot they're just a bit overpowered yeah so you may want to find nefarious ways to help the players get rid of them yeah I mean the one I'd go for here is that you know what you're talking about is not the players versus everybody else it's everybody versus everybody yeah so if the players are having a particularly bad run of a, of a fight I would have a, a third faction suddenly enter the conflict and take some of the heat off the players by attacking the other group as such you know so yeah. they're, they're currently fighting the slot and losing so the children suddenly arrive and attack the slot as well so yeah. get well, them, get attack them, everyone yeah well get, at least give the players a chance to pull back and regroup as such yeah. so alright anyway no worries let's keep going okay ignorance is a blessing the data you requested is unavailable discussion topic time and today I ran across this in a game I was running uh, only actually last night, and um, I didn't actually get to that point in the game, but in sort of reading the pre-written scenario, I, I sort of gave some thought to this, and I wanted to discuss it in the game, in, inside the podcast today as well. That is that um, in this exact pre-written scenario, and I've got to be careful what I say because I know the players that play in that game listen to this show... <laughs> Um, well, just don't release this podcast until <laughs> after you've played. <laughs> We're late enough as it is. Come on. Okay. Uh, no, but anyway, so it basically requires that. It requires uh, one of the players needs to effectively get infected by something, let's say, and and then 
the reason for them, the, the game, the, the reason that the game gives for why they do the next step is because they have to do that in order to get the cure, cure back to the cure of the character as such, you know. Uh, and the way that they become infected is by a certain set of circumstances happening in combat. Uh, and so in this particular way this is written in the book is that um, effectively there more combatants keep coming out in this combat until the, the, the desire result happens. So if, if every time you know the, the person that they, every time a creature is killed before it can infect the, infect the character, another one simply arrives. Um, and, and to the point that, until you finally got someone that's actually infected as such and, and I guess that is a well it is it's, it's a railroady thing it's, it's, it's designed to um, take an agency away from the characters in that no, no matter what they do someone has to get yeah th- th- this is the outcome and, and look, it's like being attacked by medusas until someone eventually turns to stone yeah and I will say that the game does like the, the module does give examples of how you could potentially do it without that having to, like what happens if the players just come up with a brilliant thing that completely prevents that from happening. Here's other ways you can try and give them buy-in, but most of the game is written is predicated on the concept that this is why the characters are doing what they're doing. Um, so first off, Mike, in your mind, is that a good or a bad? Or sorry, how bad is that in your mind? It's not. I think it's a good thing. But how bad is that you know, in a scale? Of, it, it did, in yeah. a scale of railroading, that's not that bad. Yeah. But it depends how you do it. If you go, okay, you kill three whatevers. Next round, three whatevers turn up. Yeah. It becomes very obvious that it's just unlimited numbers. Yeah. You need to go, okay, and oh, another three turn up. Yeah, ro- 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 pretend to roll a dice as you do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, pretend to roll a dice, you know, or or have more turn up, and then the next round have less turn up. But make it seem random somewhat so that it's not quite so obvious of what's happening. Yeah. Um, or I don't know. Is it from a bite or something? Um, it's from like a, a creature that basically latches onto the person as such. So yeah, yeah, like a poisonous bite. Well, yeah. have the players go. Oh, these things. Their, their teeth might be valuable or something. And have the players stick their hands into the dead ones' mouths, and one of them just happens not to be quite as dead as they thought. Yeah. You, you can do various things to, to make it happen, I suppose, but it's not that bad as railroading. No? Yeah, I mean. I guess what we're getting at here is sometimes in your game you need the player characters to have a certain event occur that is particular to the game moving forward. Yeah. Um, that you know, so it's the whole thing of you know, what if the players just don't go that way, or you know, how can you try and ensure the players do? So, okay, getting back to the system, this is, this is not a forty k system, but one of the mechanics this game system has. Uh, so we're talking about Numenera here. Okay. Yeah. So it has a system called GM intrusions, which is pretty much the GM actually declares, you know, that that this is GM fiat. This is an intrusion. The fact that this has happened is actually me saying that regardless of your action, okay, you, you spent your points of a but this event occurs, okay. And what it does is that when a player is is targeted by a GM intrusion, they get bonus XP to represent the fact that this is. Story, out of their control. Out of their control. Yeah, it, it's storyline character growth, um, and because this is a game system where you spend XP, as it's, it's not like earn XP to earn a level. It's basically spend XP on purchases, and there are you can actually spend XP in the system on temporary purchases as well. So things like you know one XP to buy a reroll, um, you know three XP lets you buy a skill which is so particular it's only useful in this adventure, for example. Um, whereas four XP buys you permanent stuff, but you can spend XP to actually 
forcefully ignore a GM intrusion. So if either the GM sort of says, like, okay, this has happened, here's your, you know, your XP, and you can say, actually, no, I'm going to, rather than take that, I'm going to spend one of my current XP and not get the XP you give me, and, and that doesn't happen to me. So I, I, I just don't want that to be, you know, something happening to my character, which, you know, I, I suppose is designed to give agency back to the player. The kicker being that they can't do it, they haven't got XP to spend. Yeah. And I know that most people, I certainly don't. Any game system I had where you could spend experience points to do things like get rerolls, I would never, I'd never be doing that. You know, like yeah. uh, I think when we played Deadlands for ages, that um, I can't remember. It might have been older rules where unused bennies converted into XP. Yeah. And I would just never use, use re- any of your bennies. Yeah, neither would I. Just try and get it. The only time I'd use one is if failing meant death. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so that, that, that was a mechanic that this game tries to use to, I guess, re- reimburse characters for, for loss of agency as such. Yeah, but if you're running the game right, it shouldn't feel like loss of agency. It yeah. should just feel like bad rolls. I mean, at some stage, someone's going to fail a roll. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not too keen on that, I'll yeah. be honest. Let's look at your favourite example, Mike. The everyone's captured, you lose all your gear, you know. It's, 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 uh, just, I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, but it, 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 that has to happen in one of two ways if you're doing that. One is you say at the start of the game, this happened off camera. You know, you're, you're now in the cell. Or alternatively, you have to actually run a fight where the player characters are overcome. Yeah. Um, or I guess you could do things where you say, okay, well, you know, the, the bad guys have captured your loved one and they, they force you to surrender under threat of harm of that person. But yeah. I, I mean, but the thing is, you can do that. It can be railroaded, but it doesn't have to feel railroaded. Yeah. If you want everyone to be captured in a fight that they can't possibly overcome, you just make the opponents that much better than the players. Yeah. They're going to lose. <laughs> you know? If the players don't want to surrender, kill one of them. The others will soon get the idea that, you know, it's surrender or death. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that we've told a story before about when we tried running the 5th edition D&D and the, the published scenario had a circumstance where the, a player character is challenged by an NPC who is far superior to the character and, and will beat them in a fight but won't kill them. Yeah. And the idea of this is to set up that NPC as a villain for later on so that eventually, you know, our training montage later... The player character is able to actually finally defeat the person who defeated them previously. Yeah. But for the player, the, when we ran it, she got quite upset that you know she was used to playing, you know, third and fourth ed D and D where you win every single fight so, you're yes, going to. Ch- challenge ratings are designed to ensure that every fight is balanced, and so therefore, you know. Yeah, but that's that's not exactly the best way to go into every fight. You should always go into every fight expecting that there's a good chance you're not going to walk away. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately the effect of any role-playing game that in a fight you're not always going to have the luck on your side yeah think about I mean our Dark Heresy game so there were certainly going to be fights in that that you know we were, were quite easy you know yeah. you're going okay you're attacked by a group of five cultists in robes you know this, this is a this is a time kill this is just to slow you down while you take these guys out and then continue chasing the bad guy other times there were things like okay this is not a fight this is you know there, there, there's ten bloodthirsters bearing down upon us you know obviously the right direction is backwards yeah um, but were there really fights you can think of where you start you were in the fight and part way through you sort of said okay we can't win this we need to we need to pull back we need, you know um, or, or once a fight was started did it, or, did it always go to its conclusion no um, I remember once we were in a fight and one of 
one of the enemy combatants went through apotheosis and turned into a demon prince and then proceeded to kill my character. That fight didn't exactly go as planned. (laughs) And personally, I think we should have withdrawn from that fight when he went through that change. The only reason we didn't is because there were several other characters who had fearless because they were fed up of failing fear checks all the time, which were not going to withdraw from the fight. We had no choice. We had to stay in the fight. Or sacrifice those people. Yeah. Because certainly, I mean, I know you lost a character as well when you you, you stood to fight and everybody else withdrew. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I remember that one as well. Yeah. (laughs) Again, a little bit better communication and uh, that might have been avoided. See, I don't don't normally kill characters, but Dark Heres here just just feels so right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in both cases, it it wasn't expected, but it didn't feel railroaded. Yeah. Uh, okay. And in those fights, you could very well have had a, a, a sidebar in those books that said kill at least two characters, and it wouldn't have felt railroaded. Yeah. So, okay, years and years ago, I did a, a course, out, you know, a, a training course that was called um, Influencing Skills. Right? And, and they say that uh, influencing is the art of letting other people have your way. So the trick to effective railroading, I think, is to give the perception of agency while still... To, while still provide the outcome that you're looking to oh, yeah. obtain. Absolutely. It's, all, it's like with children. You don't say, what do you want to wear today? You say, you do want you want to wear, to wear the, 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 blue black, sh- the blue shirt or the black shirt? That's yeah. It, yeah. So, and, and there's two there's two ways to this. There's the carrot and there's the stick. Yeah. Okay. So the carrot is to say that um, you clearly incentivize the the choice that you want. You're trying to make it so obvious, but, you know, you effectively make it that... that um, you know, this this is the clear good choice, and that hopefully the player carries also to say, okay, well, we, we want whatever the outcome is, so therefore we choose to take that option. Okay. The second way is the, is the stick, which is where you say, look, I understand that what I want the characters to do is an unpalatable choice. You know, it, it's it's just something that you know, it, it, they know this is going to be bad. We don't want to we don't want to surrender. We don't want to give up this thing. You know, but. What we have to do is make sure that the other the other options is even worse. Is even worse. Yeah. yeah. More unpalatable than the first as such, you know. So it's like like you said before, surrender or death. Yeah. Well surrender's gonna be preferable to death. I mean maybe not for some people, you know, but but in most cases player characters will wanna Yeah, well hopefully the GM should know that so a a certain character is never going to surrender. Yeah. Before you create a scenario which requires someone to surrender. Yeah. So yeah, it basically comes down to incentivizing what you what you want um, through either you know making it positive or making everything else more negative. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, rail rain we normally say is a bad thing. Sometimes, especially in published scenarios, because like, I remember playing an old D and D game where we we're running a published scenario and we were trying to do something that's off the module, and like the gym said, you know, an invisible wall stops you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like you know you're, you're forced back by the by the strength of plot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, don't be that guy anyway. But yeah, if you stick with those two, I guess those couple of points, maybe it will uh, work out well for you in your game if that's what you need to do. Anyway, let's move on to the final part of the show. All astropaths to the choir chamber. Message incoming. So at this point in the show, we normally go through any sort of feedback we've had, and I was pretty bad last month. I didn't actually get a lot of the feedback we had in January up, so there's quite a bit to actually go through uh, okay. this month if you've got the time. So first one is. Um, you had a, a message on our Facebook page from Matthew, uh, just saying that uh, he's only recently started listening to the podcast in the last few months, and he's now caught up with all 
80 episodes, and he's you know wait, waiting for more. Dave said he has to wait for more now because it was it was you know freely available before that. So sorry, yeah. you know, we'll try and we'll be better about getting some more uh, more shows out as soon as possible. Um, our friend Matthew also referred us to a, uh, a news story from the UK Telegraph in um, in January of this year, where it's actually revealed that uh, Games Workshop's profits have actually soared under the new CEO. So, yeah, um, like I said, it helps when you've got someone competent doing the job. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, the six months to November twenty seven last year, they did thirteen point eight million pounds, as opposed to six point three in twenty fifteen. So you know, basically, more than double their profitability in um, in two years is a uh, is a <laughs> fantastic achievement. Anyway, and it shows that the hobby is still is still going strong. Yeah, they, they opened um, uh, seventeen new stores you know, in the in the period as well. So it has they have four hundred and sixty stores worldwide now as well. So yeah, yeah, huge company. Um, okay, so what else do we get? We got um, mentioned on Twitter by a couple of people. So non holiday John asked us the question of... Because uh, we talked before about porting uh, Road Trader into uh, Dark Harry's 2nd Edition. Yeah. And said, um, how would we port the cost of Navigator Powers across? Uh, navigator Powers, that's difficult. Because, I mean, one of the suggestions was that um, you could do it the same as the... You know, we did with XP cost, basically, for the, for the psychic system. Yeah. But, you know, would you use an aptitude... Well, I mean, there's actually no effect on psychic powers, do they? They're a fixed cost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think doing it like psychic powers are done, so a fixed cost. Yeah. Um, and have navigator as a as a background package you have to buy. Yeah. Like psyker. Yeah. Well, you could do it. You could even do the same way that astropath astropathic works. Do navis Novalite, Yeah. Which would represent either navigators themselves, or um, navigator bodyguard. Nav- except you know, other people from the, from the Novalite families. And then you could also have because I mean even even non navigators from the Navigate family still have mutations, don't they? They're just not. Yeah, they yeah. yeah, and they're pretty badly mutated as well. Yeah. If, even if so, a lot of navigator family members can't become navigators because their third eye isn't developed enough. Okay. Yeah. They're just horrible, horrible mutants. Because <laughs> uh, I'd probably also make it so that um, uh, the navigator itself is, a, is an elite package, the same way that Psyker is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make, make it elite. Navigate an elite package. Yeah. But I'd say probably you could get it for free if you were Navis Nobelite. Or a reduced cost, maybe. Yeah, that's a difficult one, Navigate. You'd have to have a really good look at that. I'd say doing it, same experience cost for the powers, similar to psychic powers, though. Probably use similar trees as well. Yes. um, Which will make it easier as well. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Uh, and the last one we got was from um, Colin Kierens via Twitter. Uh, so he said he, you know, he enjoys the show. He's going through our back catalogue and wondered what's happened to our forums that we originally had on darkrain.org, since that site's no longer, no longer around. Um, we haven't really... I mean, we didn't do much with those forums back then. There wasn't a lot of sort of activity there. Um, you know, we tend to hang out on, you know, Roll for Heresy, on um, Bolter and Chainsword, on... RPG.net, yeah. And so a lot on the fancy, uh, final fantasy flight forums. Yeah, well. which which have been although they've been shut down, they have all been archived on the website though, so you can still access all the materials that were on the uh, Warhammer archives as well. So, um, yeah, most of what we do we just have to do Facebook. You know, if you want to ask us a question, you know, do it yeah. through Facebook or Google Plus because, yeah, I mean, we we never wanted to open our own forums because we didn't want to further divide 
the community as such by having another place you can go to to ask questions. But there's already some great ones out there. Yeah. So I encourage you certainly to use those. Um, yeah, so that's what's happened with that. So anyway, that, that, that's what we had, have in the last couple of months. So sorry if we didn't get back to you um, sooner than we actually did. Yeah. Uh, okay, so if you do want to contact the show, and hopefully we'll reply to you with more... Uh, more skill. Uh, more skill or more acuity. Uh, you can do it through our website, which is www.grim.podcast. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grim.podcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus grim.podcast. We tweet through at grim.podcast, and our email is show at grim.podcast.com. We have got the web, uh, the voicemail link back up on the website now as well. Thanks very much to Sean who did that. Um, yeah, so if you want to contact, you can do that as well. Been a long, been a long time since I've had a voicemail though, hasn't it? So yeah, yeah. Okay, so episode eighty-two coming up will be a road trader episode. Still working on the run sheet for the episode, but I do know that we'll be talking about the vagabond class merchant trader. So we're back around to discussing a transport again. So because yeah. we've sort of been jumping through like doing transport radar frigate etc when we got to light cruiser rather than doing like cruiser grand cruiser i thought let's just because there's the lot fillers let's just do all the cruisers as a single uh, thing so when we get up to the light cruiser again we'll eventually the light cruiser will do the heavier cruisers as well as part of that part okay yeah I mean, that, that, that's assuming that we're going to you know we're talking 30 40 80 episodes in the future so yes. <laughs> it's going to depend i think a lot on what happens with the license too as to how much we talk about anyway Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we hope you didn't notice that we've had a whole bunch of technical difficulties with this show. We've had multiple problems with equipment and software. Hopefully, the edit has taken all that out. Sorry if there's been anything weird going on the episode you might have noticed, but um, yeah, this has been an absolute shocker for us. Yeah. Um, but we hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to catching you next time. Okay. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Musicality, music.mibio.com.